Um, I think, like, my favorite thing, uh, since you asked about 2022, was spending time with people. Uh, my wife and I, we love getting together with people. Uh, it's just something that we have shared and had in common for years and years, and we love to get people at the house, and we love to make food, and it's just, it just gives us life, makes us happy. Um, and, you know, our core group of friends, we have sort of a particular hangout style, and our hangout style is more like flannel shirts and jeans and oysters, you know? Uh, but, you know, that gets a little bit old, I think, maybe for some of the wives in the group, you know? And sometimes you, you want to do something nice. And so years ago, years ago, that's kind of bad, but years ago, um, some of our friends decided to put together a classy Christmas party. We called it the classy Christmas party. All right? And at the classy Christmas party, we, we, like, we secured this little space. The women got together and decorated it with candles. There was a caterer with like the fancy um, hors d'oeuvres and the little gas lamps under the silver trays. We all wore suits, and the girls wore dresses. Um, it was envisioned that there would be dancing at the classy Christmas party. The classy Christmas party was awesome. Um, it was just such a fresh and cool and like different thing that we did. Um, however, you know, you, you get a bunch of guys together, there's this sort of intermingling of testosterone, and it's just, it's a struggle, you know? And so, at the classy Christmas party, the dancing that was envisioned turned into a mosh pit, all right? And you know, I mean, nothing says classy like a mosh pit. Um, and if you don't know what a mosh pit is, I mean, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. Mosh pit is like something that evolved out of like punk rock concerts, metal concerts, or rock concerts in the 80s and 90s. And it's sort of like this mix between dancing and fighting. And you know, you're just kind of like colliding with one another. Now, me, I would never do that. You know, I would, I would never do that. Uh, and I was just kind of standing innocently to the side as maybe some of my other less mature friends were moshing in the mosh pit. I can assure you I was not participating. Um, and, you know, as I was just kind of innocently standing there, Brian Few, the pastor of this church, all right, comes out of control, flailing across the room, swinging his arms around like a madman. And all of a sudden, I feel like this crushing blow to the back of my neck, all right? I mean, I get smoked, and Brian has just slammed into me with his arm, okay? Now, when he hit me, I felt like this electrical shock go through my whole body. It was like nothing I'd ever felt before, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have just sustained a life-altering injury at the classy Christmas party. And like my neck all froze up and I couldn't move. Now, luckily, Jay Bennett was there. And I, were you moshing? Jay, Jay was not moshing. Jay, of course, is a trained medical professional with expertise in orthopedic matters. He checked me out and he explained to me that I had sustained something called a stinger, all right? Now, I didn't play football, so I don't know about stingers, but basically, I guess if you hit your neck just wrong, you know, you have this feeling and it's pretty scary. And you know, I recovered and I'm okay. And so I tell you this story for two reasons. One, you know, the fews are coming back in February, and I have a narrowing window of opportunity to make fun of Brian while he's not here. And then the, the other is, is just, it's a pointer to a reality. Like, when people get together, a lot of times it's not pretty. You know? A lot of times we tend to kind of crash into each other. 
Uh, we can bang into each other. You know, and like all jokes aside, and in all seriousness, many times when people come together, we end up doing things that are thoughtless, things that are hurtful. We uh, can be rude. We can be downright mean to each other. We can be inconsiderate. Okay? And that, unfortunately, is just the reality of life in a sinful world, in a broken world among sinful people. And that is something that is part of life and interaction, even among a group of Christians, even among a group of disciples in Jesus. Now, up against that, and up against that observation, this church encourages, through its community groups ministry, getting people together. Bringing people together with the idea of sharing life with one another. Maybe getting outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, meeting new people. All right? And we do that because we believe that our relationship with Jesus is enriched by and through our relationship with other people. Now, a shorthand way we talk about this is to use the expression breaking bread. And so one of the discipleship practices of Live Oak Church is breaking bread. And that is coming together, coming together with other believers with the hope and expectation and the intention of enriching our relationship with Christ through one another. All right? And so what we want to do today is spend some time thinking about and looking at the practice of Christian community. And when I, mean, when, I, when I say Christian community, what I mean is coming together, not just for worship in this corporate worship environment like, like we're doing today and, and like Rob talked about last week, but coming together for the purpose of sharing life with one another outside of worship. And the place that I'd like us to start looking into this and thinking about how do we actually practice it and what do we expect is Acts 2 that I alluded to when we just prior to taking communion. So let's look at Acts 2 verses 42 through 47. And there's a lot here and I'm going to give you my little commentary as we go through because it's, it's a lot to absorb. And I want you to just kind of focus on and think about what is the high level thing we see in these verses. All right, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right, now that, now that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty manageable. And this pointer to the breaking of bread, this is what I was alluding to in communion. This is talking about the covenantal meal that we share together, coming together to observe the Lord's Supper together. All right, but we're going to see breaking bread again. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All right? So now this is starting to get a little bit um, different sounding, like interesting to maybe even, well, what do you mean they had all things in common? Um, it goes on to say that, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And maybe at this point, some of us are thinking, I don't know about this one, and the college students are like, yeah, let's do it. This sounds pretty good. Um, sorry. And, and day by day, they're attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes 
and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. All right, so we want to kind of circle that last sentence. We're breaking bread together in our homes. And that's, that's where we get that sort of shorthand description. That's where we get that shorthand discipleship practice here for Live Oak Church. Now, what do you see at the highest level in this passage? Like, there are some sort of uh, maybe uncomfortable ideas when we're describing this vision of the early church that, you know, quite frankly, was specific to their context. But I would say that what you see in this group of people, and maybe kind of backing out of the context, is simply it's a group that is fully committed. They are fully committed to a life of community and faith. They are fully committed to a life of fellowship, to pursuing a faith community. All right? And so my question for you, just sort of to get you thinking as we start this discussion, what, what does, in your context, full commitment, or even just a commitment to life in a community of faith look like? What is, what is your heart pulling you towards in terms of connecting with and being a part of a community of other believers in Christ? What does full commitment look like? And is that where you're at right now? Are you moving towards commitment to that type of life? Are you moving towards that type of, of, of vision for your life? Now, it can be helpful sometimes to think about other examples of people living in commitment. So what I want to do is take a look at a, at, a, at a person who lived in a very different time, a more modern time, a very different context. And this is someone by, who, by all accounts, was completely committed to the faith community in which he lived. All right? There was a pastor and a teacher and a writer uh, who lived in Germany in the first part of the 20th century. He was very active in like the 30s and the 40s. 1930s, 1940s. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you may have, may have heard of him. Jay, I think you read his biography. Was it good? It was really good, all right? And you can see why it was really good. So, you know, he was, you know, a scholar. He was an academic. He was trained in the best schools in Germany, and he was kind of like a, sort of like a, a prodigy. He finished school early. He went and traveled abroad in the United States and in England to study theology in all these places and to participate uh, in the kind of the, the global church movement. But when the Nazis came to power in the early 1930s, he shifted his focus and began to push back against the Nazi regime. All right? And so one of the things that was happening in Nazi Germany, as far as the church was concerned, was like the insertion of new doctrines. Things like, Christ is not the head of the church, the Fuhrer, Hitler, is the head of the church. Um, only people of Aryan descent can hold positions in the church. Uh, we're going to get rid of the Old Testament. That's not reliable scripture for the church. And so in, in the face of all of these heresies and just sort of these unimaginable things that were happening in the ger German church, Bonhoeffer comes back in and begins and joins a movement to push back against what's happening. All right? 
and he forms this sort of underground seminary that is training pastors to go out and um, form communities that they called the confessing church, uh, people who adhered to the traditional biblical values and were not taking part in sort of like the Nazization of the German church. Now, during that time, he lived in this really close-knit community um, as he trained and he taught these pastors. And one of the things that flowed out of that period of time was a book he wrote called Life Together. Um, Life Together is you know, kind of considered to be a Christian classic. It's just this beautiful description of what Christian community can look like. And to be honest, like reading Bonhoeffer is tough. He also wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship that you may have heard of. I've tried to read it like three times. I, I can't do it. You know, it's, it's so dense. But I have read Life Together, and it's just a beautiful, a little bit more manageable description of what Christian community can be. So I'm going to give you a little book report. I'm going to make it real, real kind of simple. All right? The main thing that he says, the main point that he's driving home, is that Christian community the ability to gather with, know, and live life with other believers, other people who share your faith, it is a gift. It is a precious and an indispensable gift. All right? Now that sounds all well and good, but what has your experience of the gift of Christian community looked like? All right? Has it been like this precious, good experience or is it is it more like a gift that you would like to take back you know or is it like a gift that you could you would like to re-gift like how could you re-gift christian community you know you'd be like hey i'd like you i'd like to introduce you to so and so um so you know what has it been like for you in my life it's been both of those things christian community has been just this sweet and precious and good gift. It has been life transforming. But at the same time, it has also been challenging. It has also been really, really hard. Um, you know, I think about situations where I've just had tough relationships and interactions with other Christian people. I remember there was this lady at work and uh, we would go at each other and we'd be angry at each other and then she would finish the conversation with, have a blessed day. And I'd think, you have a blessed day, lady, you know? Uh, I remember thinking one time, like, am I going to have to see her in heaven, you know? Just, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, but, if, you know, if, if, if God didn't work through our immaturity, he wouldn't have much to work with. Um, and so, you know, so I've had those kind of experiences. And then, you know, like on a longer term, more real perspective, you know, when you come together in community with people, sometimes it doesn't last. You know, sometimes people move, sometimes people move on. And I can think about really drawing close to people, knowing people, and then them not being a part of my life anymore. And I've definitely had windows where God, I felt kind of guarded, you know, like my heart kind of hurt about that. And it's difficult to put yourself out there and want to know others when you know sometimes those relationships are going to change. And, you know, as you get older, that just becomes more and more real and more and more a part of your experience. So, you know, that's on one side of it for me. But then on the other my deepest and best and richest, most wonderful friendships are with other believers in Christ, 
other people who encourage me, other people who hold me accountable, other people that I feel transparent and comfortable with. And so, you know, what does that mean for the gift of Christian community? You know, like what should we expect from Christian community? What should we be looking for and pursuing when we come together with others, recognizing that it can be both hard and it can be wonderful? Um, Bonhoeffer, in his book, explains that there are really two dimensions to the bond between believers, all right? There's this human dimension, and the human dimension is really, it's, a, it's focused on shared interest and desires, you know? Like, hey, I like, we like the same stuff, I think you're cool, um, we have similar political beliefs, that kind of stuff. This sort of uh, superficial level um, affinities for one another. Those things, those human bonds, they tend to be pretty fragile. And they tend to be temporary in many cases. And a lot of times they're really focused on ourselves. We're focused on what the person is to us or can be to us or for us. Bonhoeffer goes on to say that the real substantive deep bond between Christians is not based on what we are to one another, but based on what Christ is to both of us. He explains that we are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done, full stop. That is it. He has placed us in this special familial relationship simply because of what he has done. And so anytime you approach another believer, remember that you are approaching them through Christ. You're not going straight at them. We're, we're approaching one another in the presence of Christ. Now, there is a good bit of mystery in there. You know, like, it's hard to think about, like, how do I practically implement that? How do I keep foremost in my mind the idea that the foundation of my relationship with another believer is our shared experience of Christ and his love and not just our experience of each other? Well, the first thing is to invite Jesus actively into those relationships and invite him to reveal that mystery. And by that I mean, when you're coming together, let's imagine you're going to a community group or you're gonna meet with some close friends, it's always, always good just to offer a prayer to the Lord, uh, to kind of use Paul words, to unify you in the spirit. You know, that is the type of prayer, in my experience, that God will very consistently honor. When I'm coming together with his people, I want the Spirit of God to be in our midst and to unify our hearts. That's a wonderful prayer for you, I guess, for if, you, if you're driving home from work and you had a hard day and you're thinking about going into the fray of kids and spouse and everything that's going on, that's a wonderful time to think about that very important Christian community you're going into and say, Lord, will you unify us by your Spirit? And you will be, I, I, I really believe you will be pleasantly amazed at the way God responds to and answers that prayer. So actively, actively seek his work in your community with others. Actively invite him into it. All right? 
But what about, you say maybe from like a practical perspective, what are some things that we can do and focus on in this respect? Um, Paul, when he writes to the Romans, um, in the beginning of his letter, in chapter 1, he says, um, and I'll read it. For I long to see you, he's talking to the church, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So the principle that I want us to grab onto here is that Christian community needs to revolve around encouragement, mutual encouragement. And so if you're going to a community group meeting or you're gathering with other believers for coffee, at the top of your agenda needs to be encouragement to one another, the encouragement of your faith specifically, okay? How do you encourage someone's faith? How do we come together and help encourage one another's faith, all right? A few weeks ago, we talked about the relationship between faith and promises, right? So to have faith in God is to be convinced of his promises. So reminding one another and knowing his promises is fundamental to that, right? But one of the really just tangible ways in which we can encourage one another's faith is just to live in a way that shows other people that God is real. And so if we are pointing others to experiences, to stories, that demonstrate the reality of God in our lives, and we are looking for stories and characteristics that demonstrate the reality of God in other people's lives, then that encourages faith. You know, I can think of just a conversation I had this week where I was talking to someone in a community environment, and they had made a very, very hard decision. They had made a very hard decision around a relationship because they trusted God. So they put what they wanted at the surface underneath what they knew God desired for them. And that encourages my faith. That is just a wonderful example of someone stepping out and living life in a way that reveals that God is real. I want what he wants more than what I want, demonstrating his reality. So. You know, how can we share stories and experiences? How can we look for stories and experiences that demonstrate the reality of God? Um, Bonhoeffer, to come back to him, and in this vein, you know, he was someone who had that effect on people. Um, in sort of the mid, middle of World War II, 1943 or so, um, his underground movement was uh, was effectively shut down by the Nazis, and he was arrested, and he was put into a concentration camp. And when he was in the concentration camp, he spent most of his time ministering to and interacting with the other uh, prisoners there. And the guards loved him, and they would kind of facilitate him going around and doing this. And uh, one day, in 1945, he was leading a worship service among the prisoners. And as they concluded the worship service, uh, two civilian guards walked into the room and they said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, 
come with us. And everyone in the room knew that meant only one thing. And so Bonhoeffer stood up, he looked at his fellow prisoners, and he said, my friends, this is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. And he walked out, and he was executed the next day. Um, the other prisoners you know, wrote and described him. And, and, and one of the descriptions um, that jumps out at me most is the statement that for him, more than anyone they had ever met, God was real and close. Now think about what that does to your heart. Like if that story doesn't make your heart burn, I'm not sure how to encourage you. But this is a pointer to what we can do for one another. How can we demonstrate to one another that God is real and active and moving in each other's lives and encourage one another's faith? All right? Now, another point of reality is the idea that Christian community is not always encouraging. Sometimes it's downright discouraging or disillusioning because we see each other's sin. The more we draw close to one another, the more we see the reality of our character. The more we see um, the brokenness that is still part of life. And that's tough. Um, that, that can be really difficult as you get closer to a Christian leader. Uh, and it can bring about, you know, what Rob called last week, this idea of disillusionment. All right? And, you know, Bonhoeffer was not naive in his life together, he talks about disillusionment. And he makes the same point that Rob made last week. To be disillusioned is actually a good thing. It's actually a helpful thing because you're setting aside unreality and you are beginning to live in accordance with reality. You're getting past the illusion and you're seeing one another in accordance with the truth. And we come to see one another not based on what we hope or want each other to be, but in fact, what we are. And what we are are people who are together at the foot of the cross. People who are together learning and kind of stumbling forward as we pursue the discipleship of Christ. All right? And so one of the things that we do to push back against and move forward from that experience of disillusionment is a practice of accountability. Okay? So let's look at what Paul says to the Galatian church in chapter 6. He says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So another practical principle for us, when we're coming together in Christian community, we should pursue and we should expect accountability. But I really want to underline that word gentle because that's one thing that Christian people don't always do with great skill, approach one another with gentleness. And I just want you to think about what that word gentle means, all right? When I think about gentle, I think about applying an appropriate amount of force. I am being very careful to apply enough force to do what I need to do, but I'm really avoiding doing any unnecessary harm. All right? 
So that's a good thing to hold on to as we're interacting with one another. And it, and it reminds us that gentleness is compatible with strength. In fact, the stronger we are, the more need we have of gentleness because we need to be sensitive to how we come in and apply force in a situation. And so let's just imagine we're in a community situation and we're dealing with some kind of bitterness or some kind of sin or some kind of resentment. You know, this is an opportunity for us just to approach one another with gentle accountability. And if we see something in, in a brother or a sister that is not good, we say, look, I see this in you. This is not good. Or, look, we're talking about this in a way and we're having a conversation that's probably not good for either one of us. This is not good. And allow the Spirit of God to work in just a gentle insistence upon what is right and true and good in your relationships with other people. And that's why one of the ways I think about that passage in the Lord's Prayer where we're forgiving one another, we're called to forgive one another, I think about it in terms of we're really trusting God with other people. And a big part of Christian community and stepping into Christian community in an active and healthy way is being able to trust God with other people. I trust God with these folks. I trust God with how I'm going to interact with them. I trust God with the accountability that they bring to me and that I bring to them. All right? But I want you to remember that accountability is a two-way street. It is a, it is a two-way situation. We need to be in a position to approach one another with transparency and soft and open hearts. Okay? And this is why in James, um, James counsels us and he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's in James chapter 5. Confess your sins to one another. And like now we're kind of moving up into sort of the 300 level course. This is kind of tough. And you know, maybe this isn't great for a small group of 12 people. But have you ever been involved in fellowship where you could actively confess sin to another person? And that was just part of your rhythm. That was part of how you approached it. Um, something that the, we haven't done it lately, but one of the things that the elders of this church has practiced um, was just, is just this, sort of, this sort of, I guess, almost a ritual of confession. And it was something that Brian encountered when he had done sort of a pastor's intensive with this guy named Elliot Grudem. And basically the practice looks like this. You sit and you identify something that is sin in your life that needs confession. And you get together with two or three other people, maybe one or two other people that you really trust and you really feel comfortable being transparent with. We need these types of relationships in our lives. And, you know, what we would do is, you know, I would say, you know, Jay, I'm struggling with X. I'm not going to tell you something. But I'm struggling, you know, and I confess that I am sinning in this way. And then, you know, and this, this, this was just, God, was just a powerful practice. Because then Jay would put his hand on my shoulder. He would look me in the eye and he would say, Hunter, in Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. And that, sound, that might sound kind of awkward or weird until you try it and experience the power of it. Now, that's not the way that you necessarily have to do it, 
But what I do want to call you to is a pointer to being transparent about your sin in your community and inviting people into your confession and inviting people into prayer for you and then being that safe place for others. All right? Now, so, so we can sort of land the plane. Um, the, the final idea, the final summation of Christian community, just like with most other practices, is the idea of love. You know, we should expect to give and receive love in Christian community. But I'm talking about love in God's way and on God's terms. And so I would think of it like this. When we come together in Christian community, we are pursuing the good of one another. And we should expect others to pursue our good. God's love, you know, the agape love um, that Jesus has shown for us and God pours out on us is the steadfast pursuit of good for the object loved. And we can do that and we can be that for one another. In fact, that's really what we are learning. It's what we are after together as we gather in a community. All right? The last scripture I want you to look at is in Colossians chapter 3, and Paul just paints us a portrait of this. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if any has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, you know, Paul has set a very high bar there, you know. But this is a vision for what we are learning. This is a vision for what we can be together. This is a vision for what God can do in and through a community of faith. Um, Timothy Keller is a pastor and writer that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. He was a pastor in a, in, in a New York church. He's written some just really profound and, and helpful stuff. One of his books is called The King's Cross. And in The King's Cross, he talks about love like a dance. All right? And he portrays it almost like this uh, really elaborate kind of dance you might see in a movie. Not like crashing together in a mosh pit but this really careful and beautiful interplay. And he applies this idea of a dance to the Trinity. And he says, you know, we're designed to live in community because God himself is a community, is a community of loving persons. The Spirit defers to and honors the Son. The Son defers to and honors the Spirit, and he kind of you know, portrays their balance and their relationship to one another. And he goes on to say, what God is doing in the world, what God intends for us, and based on who God is as infinitely generous and loving, is to bring other loving persons into this dance. And so when we get together, we are learning to dance. We are learning to interact with one another in love. We're learning to draw near to each other without banging into each other and stepping on our toes. And you know what? When you're learning to do something, a lot of times you do it wrong. 
you know, and that's part of the learning process. But you're not going to learn to dance with other people by yourself. And so that's where I'd like us just to, to, to finish today. Come together. Commit yourself to a community of faith to learn Jesus' way of love, to learn to interact with others, to experience encouragement, to experience enjoyment, to experience accountability, to have an avenue for confession. Let's receive this gift together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, just give each of us a firm vision for the gift of community. And Lord, I pray that you would move us in our hearts just to deepen our commitment to one another. Lord, to approach one another uh, with grace, um, with wisdom, and in your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would just take the seeds of truth that um, we find in your word and that you would just cause that to grow in our hearts and become a force in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for one another. And we praise you. Amen.